All right, church, if you have your Bibles and uh, you're ready to jump into God's Word, Romans chapter 15. So uh, thank you, Matt. I look forward to serving alongside you and uh, seeing where God leads us as he leads and guides this church. I'm super excited about that. Romans chapter 15, picking up where we left off last week, we're actually going to pick up verse 7. And uh, I'm not sure if we'll get through the entire message this morning, but that's okay. We will uh, we'll pick up then next week where we left off this week. So um, as we have gotten through Romans, we've seen chapter 1 through chapter 11 being a strong theological push by Paul to the church in Rome. And so he is laying out this big, deep theological truth. And then in chapter 12, he shifts to an application. And as now we've gotten through a lot of the application, we're kind of in the middle zone where he's, he's beginning to shift towards a more personal part of the letter of writing about his uh, desire to come visit and what his plans are and really kind of landing the plane, if you will, in, in the way he's writing this, this letter to them. So this morning I want to look at a worshipful act of missional living. It is a living sacrifice that is not conformed to the pattern of this world, but a living sacrifice that is humbly aware of its sin and its selfishness, which seeks repentance. It is a living sacrifice that lives missionally for the glory of God and uses the gifts it has for the edification of the body. It is a living sacrifice that loves genuinely and yet abhors evil. It honors and shows hospitality to those around it. It uses its words to bless and not to curse. It weeps with those who weep, and it rejoices with those who rejoice. A living sacrifice lives peaceably with everyone as far as it depends on it, and it gives generously to those who are in need. It honors authority. It loves its neighbors. It lives properly in this wicked world. It stops arguing over opinions and disputable matters of conscience. A living sacrifice begins to pursue peace and the mutual upbuilding of the body of Christ. And a living sacrifice sees that it has an obligation to those you come in contact with and an obligation to the Lord. This is what a living sacrifice does. And that living sacrifice now moves into a worshipful act of missional living. And so as we jump in, I want you to see, number one, a living sacrifice is a worshipful act of missional exaltation. Missional exaltation. Let's begin there, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's stop right there. A missional exaltation in a community of worshipers. Paul writes to this community of believers. He writes to the church that gathers there in Rome, and he's writing to them to have a missional exaltation in the way that they offer their lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, which is their reasonable act of worship. 
a missional exaltation. The gospel unity that happens across divided opinions and disagreements is an act of worship. The unity of the gathered body of believers is an act of worship for the glory of God. In fact, Maurice Leanhart, a French pastor, says, Nothing glorifies God as much as the unity of his children, which alone is in harmony with his essential will of love. The unity of the church is a missional expression of worship to those both in the congregation and those who witness the congregation from without. So, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. Corporate worship is an exaltation of Christ in a community of hospitality and friendship. Oh, as we gather together as a corporate worship gathering, it's not that we just gather together and we sit in pews and we sing songs of praise. It's that the gathering of the family of God has such hospitality and friendship that that is a worshipful expression to who God is in the unity of the body. And so how we engage with one another as the church is an expression of worship. Although the church is diverse, opinionated, maybe divided over social and political issues, its bond of unity in Christ calls us to accept, to love, and to receive one another into our hearts. When he says welcome one another, he says welcome those around you to have a place in your heart. The deep, caring love of the body of Christ. It's a missional exaltation. It's it's an expression of worship as we gather together says, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As you welcome one another, you do that in the same manner in which Christ has welcomed you. That's an act of worship. And how you welcome others into your heart is the same way that you, you have been welcomed by God. Spurgeon says this, If the Lord Jesus has indeed received us and bears with our weaknesses and follies, well, may we have patience with one another and show pity to each other's infirmaries. Christ did not receive us because we were perfect, because we could see no fault, he could see so, no fault in us, or because he hoped to gain somewhat at our hands. Ah, no. But in loving condensation, condensation, covering our faults and seeking our good, he welcomed us to his heart. So in the same way and with the same purpose, let us receive one another. As Paul writes this, he's writing to a church, and he says, listen, the way that you love one another and welcome one another in is a worshipful act. And in in order to do that worshipful act, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take laying aside my desires and my preferences and my opinions to welcome others into my life. This is what the church is called to. It's called to be a missional exaltation of Christ-centered praise. The second thing we see, a missional exaltation in a Christ-centered praise. Pick up there in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles 
hope. We see as Paul has been leading us into this understanding that the Gentiles have been grafted in to God's people. He's saying that the purpose was that there would be worshipers from every tribe and language and tongue, and they would be invited in. And so he's saying Jew and Gentile, weak and strong, rich or poor, slave or free, the church meets together to praise Jesus Christ. No matter how you come in here, there is a unity of the body that is an expression of missional exaltation. Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we have been fully united with everyone else who is in Christ. There is no dividing lines. In Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's a missional exaltation of a Christ centered people, a Christ centered praise that goes forth. And that's why, and you may have picked up on this, our goal as we gather together in corporate worship is yes, number one, before we ever come in here and sing songs or listen, in, uh, listen to the teaching of God's word, it's to be a people who welcome one another into our hearts, that we would be a family of God. That's an expression of worship. And number two, that as we sing songs of praise, we do it unified in Christ with a Christ-centric praise. We're not, we're not just going to sing about the things that we get. Those, those are great songs. We sing about who Christ is. It's a Christ-centered exaltation because that is the only thing that joins us together is who Christ is. So there are no lesser Christians in the family of God. There are no degrees of who is closer to God or, or farther away from God. God's plan is to be glorified, and that plan has always been to enlist people of every nation and every tribe and every tongue, unified in the bond of Christ. This is the call on the church. This is why in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you have the, the great commission call. There, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. It's the call that if we're disciples, we're to be disciple makers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. The call of every believer is a missional exaltation to the nations. The call of every believer. Christ-centered missions and discipleship is an act of gathering worshipers from all nations, tribes, and tongues. Missions is not the ultimate purpose of the church. Worship is. But missions and discipleship become the priority in the church because it means that through those two areas, we can gather more worshipers to be united in Christ. You see, the more that we know Jesus Christ, the more our hearts are drawn to sing to him in exaltation. The more that we know Christ, the more we will worship Christ. The deeper our knowledge of who he is happens in our, in our brains, in our minds, in our lives, the more we will have to sing praise about. So a missional exaltation in a contentment of heart. So it happens as we welcome one another in. That's an act of worship, missional exaltation. It happens as we gather together and we sing Christ-centered exaltation that we would be united in Christ, but it also happens 
from a contentment in our heart. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul writes here about contentment. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know to be how to be brought low. I know, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse right there often gets written on the bottom of your athletic cleats or whatever it is, right? It's Philippians 4.13. But it's sandwiched in this, in this letter about persecution and a life that is laid on the altar of missional exaltation. Paul is saying, I have laid my life on the altar of bringing people into a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I've faced all kinds of highs and lows while doing it. And I've learned the secret that there is a contentment that wells up within me that is the driving force of worship in my life, a driving force of missional exaltation. It's the God of hope. The God of hope, the giver of hope, the object of our hope, the source of our hope. But if we substitute something or someone or some circumstance as our giver of hope, as our object of hope or our source of hope, we will be crushed. We will be depressed. We will be discontent when that thing ceases to satisfy. We will then be met with sorrow rather than joy and distress rather than peace. When we allow something or someone other than God, the God of hope, to be our focus for contentment, we forfeit a powerful witness of worship because our worship then has moved to be idolatrous and it is just like the rest of fallen humanity. The church is to be full of hope, a place where our eyes are fixed on the one who gives hope, who is the source of hope, who is the sustainer of hope. But if the church gathers and that object and that source of hope has moved towards something else, we become a, a group of people who are full of idolatrous worship that simply give lip service. John Piper would say this, he appeals to the God of hope, not first the God of peace or the God of joy or the God of love, but the God of hope. And his appeal is that this God would work in us so that we abound in hope. That means overflow in hope, brim with hope, be full of hope, hope pushing out all contrary emotions, discouragement, depression, fear, anxiety, grumbling, bitterness. Hope does not coexist well with these things. And when it is abounding and overflowing, they push these contrary emotions out. Let me just say, I know that a lot of times we enter into corporate worship and we may not feel welcomed. We may feel isolated. We may feel unloved. We may feel like our focus is off. We may enter in facing all kinds of emotions like discouragement, depression, 
fear, anxiety, not knowing what the future may hold. We may be trying to press down and push down grumbling and bitterness from wrongs that we've experienced. Let me tell you the God of all hope. And missional exaltation can push those out. May you be filled today by the presence of the Holy Spirit with all joy and peace because the God of hope has filled you. If you've come in here feeling depressed or you've come in here feeling discouraged, may the God of hope push those out right now as you lift up a praise of exaltation. If you feel fear and anxiety because you've gotten a bad report and you don't know what's coming around the corner, may the God of hope push those out so that you can lift up a praise of exaltation. And may the God of hope push out all grumbling and bitterness that would seek to divide you from the body of Christ. It's about missional exaltation that comes from an area of contentment that is beyond circumstances. It's that he is my source. He is the object. He's my hope. Paul is praying that these believers will be so filled with joy and peace in their belief of God that that hope would then pour over into the lives of others and it would pour out in their expression of worship to God. God is the God of hope, no matter what circumstances you're in today. There's always hope in God, and there's always hope in his ways and his promises. For the Christian, worship pours out of that hope. It's a faithful assurance of the God who keeps his promises. The Greek word, in fact, for hope is the meaning of expectation that is sure. It is important to see that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit imparts to us hope, joy, and peace. Therefore, let us hope this morning. Let us, with a missional exaltation, sing of Christ and the hope that we have in him. And may that be a witness to the world. Because Peter would say, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. As we worship as not just those who gather together and sing, but as we worship with those who have welcoming hearts, as we worship as those who are Christ-centered in our exaltation that goes missionally, as we are those who gather together so full of the Spirit that hope begins to pour out of our lives no matter what circumstances we're in, that there will be those who come up and ask us for a reason of the hope that we have and that we would be given the opportunity then with a missional exaltation to tell them about Jesus Christ. What great worship pours out of a life that is surrendered to Christ as a living sacrifice. God desires that our hearts would burst forth in worship because we have been so filled with joy and peace and hope. And that that would overflow in the way that we extol him. In the way that we worship him. It's not just the songs that we sing. It's the lives that we live that bring praise and honor and glory to God. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning to worship. Maybe your worship this morning, maybe you're someone who says, I, 
I can't carry a tune in a bucket, so it's hard. It's hard for me to to find worship in the songs. But maybe you're the one that goes over and puts an arm around someone and welcomes them into your heart with the love of Christ because you've been welcomed. Maybe you're going to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you do worship him more today. And maybe you fall on your knees before him asking him to push out the darkness with his marvelous light. You ask him to take away the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the discouragement, the bitterness, and the grumbling 